Our scripture lesson for today, Christ the King Sunday, I've chosen to move away from the gospel lesson for today and move into our, our reading from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 through 16 and 20 through 24. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the water courses and all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord God, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The word of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. In the past, I have shared, honestly, I can't remember if it was during a sermon or if it was perhaps in a newsletter article of some sort, but I've shared the fact that I have always wanted to be able to speak Spanish. And in the last couple of years, I'd say it's somewhere between a year and a half to two years, I've sort of lost track, I've been using a free app on my phone called Duolingo, which is teaching me Spanish very, very, very slowly. Now, this morning, as I was doing my daily lesson, working through some things, I discovered a feature. It's always been there, and I just have never noticed it before. But it's a way to kind of see how am I doing conversationally. And in this particular type of lesson, essentially, I listen to a back and forth conversation that's between two different people and answer questions about the conversation that they are having. Now, this one was very simple. It was the very first one that goes all the way back to some of the earliest lessons that I have worked on and worked through a long, long time ago. And it was basically a back and forth between two people about having their morning coffee and accidentally putting salt in it instead of sugar. Now, I was delighted to be able to work my way through that and, and discover, hey, I understand what they're saying. It was good. It was encouraging. It was great. But as much work as I have done and the progress that I have made, and yes, I have, I'm still not done yet. I've got a long way to go before I can say honestly, or at least conversationally, that, that yo hablo espanol. I can, I can do a little bit, but I've got a long way to go. But here's the thing about Spanish. As, as new as it is to me, and as much work as I still have to do in order to become fluent and to be able to actually speak it well, 
It's not a new language. Spanish has been around for a long, long, long time. Countless people before me have, have spoken the Spanish language. Countless people after me will continue to speak the Spanish language. So this old thing, which is new to me, is still ongoing and isn't complete yet. Now that is a theme that I've been bringing in that I've been thinking a lot about as I consider today, this passage, where we're at in the church here, all of this stuff. Now you see, I've got the white shirt on. You can see the white pyramids behind me and over there on opposite sides where you can't see off, off camera as well. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Today is the final Sunday of the church year. And with that, we take this ongoing theme of the growth of the church and the direction of the church, and even this theme that we've had in recent weeks of what are the end times going to look like, and we consider the ultimate promise that the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which has come near to us through Jesus, that is not yet brought to fulfillment, that promise, both the now and the not yet, that it will one day come to completion and Christ is the king. That is the theme of this day. That's where we're at in the ongoing theme of the church year as, as we wrap up another church year, knowing beginning next week that we will shift then to Advent and that season and the beginning of a new church year. That's, that's the cycle that we're going on. And this whole idea is the same. Now, the gospel lesson for today, which of course I didn't read, has the same sort of theme as well, and actually is sort of has an echo with what we have in there. You might be familiar with it. Jesus tells a parable about the, the separation of the sheep and the goats, and how he says that in the end, I will separate one from another. And when the question comes up, well, how will this be? He says, the ones that what you have done for the least of me, these you have done for me. When you, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. When you've done this for the least of these, you have done for me. And when you have not done this for the least of these, you've done for me. That's the gospel lesson. And I can't help but think that it's got a little bit of an echo in what we hear today from Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel, just to give you a little bit of history of where, where he was active or when he was active as we look backwards through history. Ezekiel was active at the time about... 550, 600 years before Jesus. So we're going back, you know, a long, long way, 25, 2,600 years ago in our reckoning, in our history. At this point in Israel's history, the northern kingdom, you know, the two kingdoms, had, or the kingdom of Israel has separated into two different kingdoms. The northern kingdom of Israel, or sometimes called Samaria, had already fallen to the Assyrians, the Assyrian uh, empire, which had risen up, you know, a couple hundred years before this. That has already happened. Now, at this point, the Babylonian Empire is the new superpower of the day, and they are threatening the southern kingdom of Judah, which is, um, you know, kind of where Jerusalem is. The earlier parts of Ezekiel's writing, before this part, actually serve as a warning to the, the leaders and to the people, this is what's coming. Because you have led the people astray, because you have not followed me faithfully, this is going to happen. It's this warning about the Babylonians who are coming. And then the later portion of Ezekiel's writing, including what we have shared today, features more of a promise in the exile, once Babylon has come in and taken over and destroyed the, the city of, of Jerusalem and hauled off all the leaders, including Ezekiel. He was among the people who were hauled off. These are promises that are made through or by God through Ezekiel to the people in exile that this is not the end. It's this promise that there will be restoration. Now, this is just one point in history. 
but it's something that I think bears repeating because it itself does repeat. It, it reveals some themes, it reveals some, some imagery that's been around throughout the Jewish culture for a long, long time by this point. Now, if you remember Israel's history, they came out of Egypt. God told them at that point, this is clear back in Exodus, I will provide for you. And for 40 years, God shows them that God will provide. God will be the one that cares for them, that provides for them, that leads them. As time went on and they moved into the promised land, as a people, God continued to guide them. And they were somewhat fragmented. They were very tribal. They weren't united as a single nation, even if they were all one type of people. And then later on, about yeah, a thousand years before Jesus, or about 400 or so odd years before Ezekiel's around, at this point, the people are starting to ask for a king. All of the neighboring countries have kings. We want to have a king. And at that time, there's this prophet named Samuel. You might have heard his name before. Samuel basically warns them, hey, you want a king? This is what that's going to look like. God is the leader. God is the one that cares for us. But then God says to Samuel, no, they want a king. We're going to give them a king. But give them this warning. Tell them to remember how they were downtrodden, how they were enslaved, how they, they were taken advantage of in their history back when they were in Egypt, and remind them not to do that again. Remind the people who are tasked with leadership, the ones who will be kings, and hint, whenever they're talking about shepherds, that's an imagery for the kings. That's important to know. Warn them to care for the people, and if they lead them astray, there's going to be issues. And yet, that's exactly what happens. They've got three decent kings. We got King Saul, and then we got King David, and then we got King Solomon. They all had their issues, and they did, but they were three pretty decent kings in terms of uniting the people, although they took advantage of them as well. But then we begin to see this fracture, and we begin to see the kings leading the people astray, these shepherds leading their flocks astray. And yet the promise remains. The promise was there from God, I will be the king. I will be your leader. I will provide for you. I will care for you. I will guide you. I will be your shepherd. That's a theme that's been throughout their history. And it's repeated. It's gone on before. It's happening for them now here in the time of Ezekiel. It continues on later on within our church history or the Christian history when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Hmm, sounds kind of familiar, right? And it goes on for us now. It's this ongoing promise that God is the one who will care for us. But as I was thinking about this specific passage, I was also reminded of another writing where we hear something that's kind of like this. You know, we have these themes that repeat, and this is one of them. Recently, I would say sometime in the last two months, I don't remember exactly when, but recently we featured Psalm 23, and we talked about that. And we, we remembered how comforting it is to us for the psalmist, whoever wrote it, and it was written, you know, about four or five hundred years before Ezekiel. This old promise where we, 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 we recognize God's role. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord leads me beside still waters. The Lord refreshes my soul. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Lord, you are with me. I thought about that a lot as I was reading Ezekiel and as I was preparing Ezekiel because it almost sounds like opposite sides of the same coin. Almost like we've got a mirror and one person's looking into it and we've got a slightly different direction looking. I guess that would be a window, not a mirror. But 
but this idea of both sides of the same coin, almost like two sides of the same conversation. In Psalm 23, it is the person saying, the Lord is this for me. And now here in Ezekiel, we have the promise that is being made to the people who, remember, have been scattered out in, around Babylon. They've been scattered all over the world. They're no longer in the promised land. Things are looking kind of bleak for them, but the promise remains for the people. God is saying, I will be your shepherd. I will gather those who have been scattered. I will care for those who are sick. I will feed those who are hungry. I will bring them together. I will strengthen them. It's the promise of God to fulfill this ultimate leadership, guiding, kingly, whatever we want to call it, this ultimate caretaker. It's that old promise which now is being made new or or brought new to these people in their lives, in their situation. It's one that will ultimately repeat as well. And for them, here's the other thing that's important about this. For them, the people who were in exile, this exile would last throughout their lifetimes. It was about three generations that would pass before the people returned to Israel and the Babylonian captivity was over. But the promise was from God to the people. That was the promise. It's not just about the individual. It's about the promise to the collective people, all of God's people. That ongoing promise. Now, in addition to that, in addition to this good news, this promise of God that I will care for you, I will gather those who are scattered, there's also that sound of rebuke. Now, that's the thing about the prophets. The prophets all oftentimes had a word of rebuke, a word of warning, which we've heard from Ezekiel, and also the promise that God will bring to fulfillment, the promise that God has made that this is not the end, that I have made these promises before, I shall remain faithful to them, that promise is for you now, even if it has not yet come to fulfillment. It's present here as well. And we hear this word of rebuke, similar to what I mentioned with the gospel lesson. We hear that God says through Ezekiel, This warning to those fat sheep, the ones who have pushed their weight around, the ones who, I think this is aimed at those who have been tasked with caring for the people, with leading the people, the ones who are are entrusted as the kings or as those with authority. They have used their authority and they have pushed those weaker ones out to the margins. Instead of caring for them and guiding them, they have pushed them out so that they are not cared for. I think there's a word of rebuke, not only for these historical figures, but a rebuke that we need to receive as well. Because as we know, folks, even though we live in the reality that the kingdom of heaven has come near somehow through Jesus, it's not brought to fulfillment. We talk about this often. We recognize the brokenness that lies within us and the brokenness that lies within the world, the brokenness that exists between, within our relationships. And I think perhaps this rebuke is one we need to pay attention to. Remember that God is talking about all of the superpowers of the day. At one time, it was Israel. Later, it would be different superpowers that would come in and take things over when things weren't going so well. At one point, it's Assyria. Here, it's Babylon. Later, it will be Rome. There's all kinds of them. The superpower of the day, those with great strength, those with great might, those with great authority who take advantage of those who do not have it. And we hear that, the imagery of these fat sheep who butt with their heads and push around until the weaker sheep are pushed out to the margins. I think about us as a nation 
us as a country, us as a society. We're considered to be, the, the, the at times, we're called the greatest nation in the world, or, or we are the superpower. But how have we cared for those less fortunate than we are? How have we cared for those weaker than we are, with less opportunity, those who have less authority or less, less power in society? Sorry, I was kind of losing my train of thought there. How have we treated those? We live in a time where we are more connected with the entire world than ever. And the decisions and the actions that are made and taken by people here within our society have great effect on individuals and societies and even countries on the opposite side of the world. And yet, how are we doing in all that? I can't help but think we're missing the mark. And that this rebuke, this, this, this issue that comes up through Ezekiel might be something that we likewise need to pay attention to, not only as a nation, but also in our own individual dealings in the way that we deal with one another when we let our own desires or our own wants or our own needs overshadow those of, of those who are around us and perhaps we take advantage of them. Oftentimes throughout the scriptures, both in the Hebrew scriptures as well as in the New Testament, we continue to hear this call to turn away from those things that are missing the mark. Those things which are off from this good existence that God seems to desire for all of us. This opportunity to recognize, I'm going this direction and this direction isn't working. Or we are going in this direction and this direction isn't working. But we have the opportunity to turn away from it, something that's called repentance. And we can turn back to this good existence, this good harmony that I believe God desires for all of us. And maybe when we do that, when we recognize the issues that we have had and we begin to move in an opposite direction and we live our lives in the reality of a kingdom which has come near to us, we live our lives in a way that reflects that in our dealings with one another, in the relationships that we have, in the way that we care for one another, and the way that we care for this world that we have been entrusted with. Maybe as we begin to do that and join in the invitation made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we will begin to move this world in the work that God is up to towards that uncompleted, unfulfilled promise of the age to come out there in some unknown point in the future. That rebuke is important for us to hear, but we also need to hear the promise because we have all missed the mark. We have all had errors in our dealings. We have all come up short of this good existence and we know that and we recognize that and we need a savior and that's what Jesus was doing in the first place. Somehow in ways that go beyond my pay grade, ways that go beyond my ability to comprehend or understand, somehow, Jesus has redeemed this broken world, even if it doesn't feel like it yet. And the promise that we have been given is in our own brokenness, in our own moments of pain and suffering and hurt, whatever they might be, the promise of God remains, I am the one who will care for you. I will gather you from wherever it is that you are in exile, whether that is physical exile or whether that is emotional exile or spiritual or whatever. God has promised to gather us, to find us where we are and bring us in, to bind up our hurts, to ultimately be the one who will care for us in ways that no person can ever do for us. Yes, we are invited to live our lives in a way that reflects that. And perhaps by doing it, we are then moving all of this towards that glorious day that has been promised, even if we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. May we hold on to that promise, knowing the promise is both for us, but it's also for us to live out 
in our day-to-day lives as loved and accepted and forgiven people of God. May we all live our lives in a way that reflects that glorious promise out into a world that is so desperate for us.